Just a little bit of housekeeping before I begin. This episode is meant to help inform the public debate. In the past week, there has been a great deal of social upheaval every night, with protests turning into riots and getting ugly. There are a lot of moral issues at play here. People have been trying to balance being upset at the murder of George Floyd while also being upset at the protests turning ugly, typically while supporting the peaceful protests wholeheartedly. I don't think those two concerns are at odds with one another, but plenty of people disagree with me there. Going into detail about that would take an entire episode, so I'm not going to do that. I've noticed that the tweets of bad faith actors are being treated as fact, and that can only further damage our social fabric. George Floyd will not be the last victim of police brutality, and that fact just makes it more important that we solve this problem in the most forward-thinking way possible. I'm recording this prologue a few days after I recorded the actual episode, so certain events that I talk about have played out further. So I wanted to record this and make sure that my episode didn't sound too out of touch. The Supreme Court declined to rule on the qualified immunity cases that were on its docket. Maybe that'll happen next term. Every day they wait is another day too long. Justin Amash is introducing a bill into Congress that seeks to end qualified immunity, and I encourage everyone to go check that out. But qualified immunity is far from the only barrier to justice that these victims face. As I'll mention, the context of this episode is the death of George Floyd, at the hands of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. I hope that the truth of the situation is fully revealed to the court and jury, and that justice is served. Derek Chauvin committed murder right before our eyes, and not before forcing Mr. Floyd to endure almost eight minutes of torture. The fact that relations between African Americans and police have only gotten worse in my lifetime is antithetical to the direction that I want our country to go. We have to get better. We can do that intelligently, and that starts with focusing our attention on problems that seem non-obvious, but have a detrimental impact on the ability of victims of police brutality to seek justice. With that being said, I encourage everyone to develop the resolve to scrutinize the source of your information, do your own research, and bring healthy dialogue to the public debate. No one person has too small of an impact to take things seriously. Welcome to the New Perspective Podcast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and follow me on Spotify. All right, let's get started with today's show. At the time of this recording, the officer who was primarily involved in the death of George Floyd has been arrested and charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. So that will be the context in which I'm recording, so keep that in mind. A few weeks ago, Reuters did a piece on qualified immunity. 
The Cato Institute covered it on their podcast, but I wanted to cover it now since the George Floyd incident only increases its relevance. I want to talk about what exactly qualified immunity is, how it emerged as legal doctrine, and the arguments for and against its existence in American jurisprudence. Qualified immunity protects government officials from lawsuits where people claim that their rights were violated. The only claims that are allowed are ones demonstrating that a clearly established statutory or constitutional right was violated by the official. When considering whether a right is clearly established, courts have to determine whether a reasonable official would have known that their conduct violated the plaintiff's rights. To further clear the air about what qualified immunity is, it's not immunity from having to pay damages, but immunity from having to go through a trial. So courts have to resolve qualified immunity issues as early as possible in a case. Qualified immunity is a defense most often used in cases involving police officers, but it applies to most executive branch officials. Judges, prosecutors, legislators, and other officials don't actually receive qualified immunity. They get other kinds of immunity. The Civil Rights Act of 1871 gave Americans the right to sue public officials who violate their rights. In Section 1983 of the U.S. Code, which is the modern iteration of the Civil Rights Act of 1871, Congress decreed that if a public official violated your rights via things like police brutality, an illegal search, or an unlawful arrest, you could sue that individual to hold the official accountable financially for their actions. In 1967, the Supreme Court came up with the idea of qualified immunity, which was meant to be a defense for officials who believed that they had acted in good faith and that their conduct was authorized by law. Later on, the court would make it harder and harder for plaintiffs to prove that an official violated a clearly established right. There's a whole bunch of Supreme Court cases about qualified immunity, but I'm going to focus on the ones that are specific to police conduct. I'm not going to interpret them because I'm not a lawyer, and there's a high probability that I'm going to be wrong. So, we have Harlow v. Fitzgerald, a 1982 case where the Supreme Court held that federal government officials are entitled to qualified immunity because it was necessary to protect government officials who have to use discretion in their jobs. It's in the public interest to encourage the vigorous exercise of their authority. With regard to certain government officials like the president and prosecutors, the court upheld what's known as absolute immunity, which is a defense that is rarely granted by courts. Absolute immunity protects officials from lawsuits and criminal prosecution so long as the discretion they exercised was within the scope of their jobs. Absolute immunity defenses must pass a two-pronged test. The official must show that their responsibilities had such a sensitive function that it requires absolute immunity, and the official must show that they were performing the sensitive function when the action in question occurred. Now on to Anderson v. Creighton, a 1987 case, where the court held that 
When an officer of the law, in this particular case an FBI agent, conducts a search that violates the Fourth Amendment, all they have to prove to get qualified immunity is that the officer reasonably believed that the search complied with the Fourth Amendment. The question courts were supposed to ask is whether a reasonable officer could have believed a warrantless search was legal, given established law and the information at the officer's disposal. Now on to the juicier stuff. Saucier v. Katz, a 2001 case. The Supreme Court held that rulings on qualified immunity defenses must be made early in a trial court's proceeding, since qualified immunity is not just a defense from liability, but a defense to stand trial. The court also elaborated on a two-pronged test for qualified immunity. A court must look at whether the facts of the case indicate that a constitutional right has been violated, and if so, a court must determine if the right was clearly established at the time of the conduct in question. So under this test, the Saucier test, qualified immunity would apply unless the official's conduct violated a right. Now, in 2009, there was a case called Pearson v. Callahan, where the court held that trial courts should have more discretion in deciding whether or not to even apply the Saucier test. Also, the court said that an officer conducting a search is entitled to qualified immunity if clearly established law does not show that the search violated the Fourth Amendment. And that brings us to the present day. I am recording on Friday, May 29th, 2020. Yesterday, the Supreme Court had a conference where 10 qualified immunity cert petitions were on the docket. On Monday, which is June 1st, the court is expected to release orders from yesterday's conference at 9.30 a.m. and possibly release opinions at 10 a.m. So be on the lookout. If anything big happens, I will be sure to record a follow-up episode. So keep your eyes and ears open. Now let's get to some arguments for and against qualified immunity. The case for qualified immunity is tough to make. Given the past 30 years of police relations, it's difficult to come up with a moral argument that government officials deserve immunity from the negative impacts of their decisions. Police officers do operate with a high degree of individual discretion performing the demands of their job. They often deal with people who are on their worst behavior or people who are at a low place mentally and emotionally. It's indisputable that being a police officer is a dangerous job. In some cases, it is clear that an officer was outside the boundaries of acceptable police conduct, while in other cases, it's more ambiguous. Qualified immunity should serve those cases where police conduct was reasonably in good faith. It also should serve government officials who fall victim to frivolous lawsuits, which interferes with their ability to do their job. This is the original logic of qualified immunity, or rather what it was when it was just a common law phenomenon. If an officer is in court all day being sued, it is impossible to carry out their duty to the public. Other government officials might require qualified immunity because of the sheer complexity of decisions they need to make. For example, the president is entitled to absolute immunity, which is a higher standard of qualified immunity. 
The president makes decisions every day that are so complex he could not possibly foresee all of the consequences. Of course, the president is human, and nobody is completely absolved of their liability for all of their actions. But when making complex decisions on short notice with limited information, immunity is a necessary safeguard. Now for the argument against qualified immunity. When it comes to assuming liability for your conduct, government officials are held to a much lower standard than almost anyone. Section 1983 of the U.S. Code allowed civilians to seek accountability when their rights were violated, but the courts have continued to raise the standard that plaintiffs have to meet to the point that it's nearly impossible to beat a qualified immunity defense. It's not enough to show that your rights were violated. You have to show that the defendant violated clearly established law, which means that plaintiffs have to show a clear legal rule as well as a prior case with identical facts. Now, to clarify, you could sue a government official and have the court say, well, yeah, your rights were violated, but there's no case where someone else's rights were violated in the exact same way. This defeats the whole purpose of Section 1983. As a result, government officials can get away with extreme misconduct with little to no repercussions. Consider both sides of the argument and determine if qualified immunity should be left alone, be revisited, or scrapped altogether. If you want to read further about qualified immunity, you can look at the article where I got the cases that I talked about. Just Google Qualified Immunity Cornell, and the article should be one of the first results. Uh, the Department of Justice also has some good information. Uh, the Cato Institute does a lot with qualified immunity, so they're a good resource. So if you like today's content, give a like and a comment on YouTube a follow on Spotify, and a subscription on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to give me all five-star reviews, of course. I'm on all those platforms, so hopefully at least one is convenient for you. I appreciate all the feedback I get, positive and negative, so if you disagree with me, let's talk about it. If you like what I'm doing, let me know so I can keep doing what I'm doing. My goal is to give people food for thought, as well as to explore topics more deeply and enhance my own understanding about things. That's my goal here. So help me achieve my goal. On that note, thank you for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode. Mm-hmm.